What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Durr, and today I am joined by Jacob Emery. This conversation is one that I was really looking forward to, especially with my upcoming hunts uh, this fall with water access. Jake finds himself in a lot of scenarios where he has to get creative with his access, and water access is something that he's really honed in on the last few years and has had a lot of success with it. So today we're talking a lot about water access, how to do it, what to use while doing it, and a ton more. Man, this conversation is packed with great information. Can't thank Jake enough for sitting down with me. Right now, as I record this, I am in the great state of Iowa, the promised land. Drew a tag out there this year, so I'm putting boots on the ground, scouting, hanging cameras, meeting up with fellas like Rendell Eric, which you've heard on the podcast, Scott Buckley, and a few more folks. And we have some really great content coming to the Exodus YouTube channel with some big time landowners in Iowa, some public land stuff, some White Tail Cribs episodes. It's a jam-packed trip, and this is my favorite content trip of the year, hands down. So in the next couple weeks, make sure you're staying tuned to the Exodus YouTube channel. Also, guys, don't sleep on the Velvet Fest sales. Right now, save 18% off your order with the code SUMMERBUCKS on the website. So exodusoutdoorgear.com, go to checkout, use the code SUMMERBUCKS all one word and save 18% off your order. So without delaying this any further, that's all I have for today. Let's hear from Jacob Emery. All right, everyone, welcome back. I'm live here with Jacob Emery from Kentucky, right? Or Indiana? Well, uh, technically, I'm from Kentucky, and I'm living in Indiana at the moment, and that's hopefully going to change before long, because I'm ready to get back to Kentucky. Oh, really? Well, we'll have to talk to, talk about that here in a little bit, because you're going to leave the great state of Indiana that just killed the biggest buck in the country. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but for, for everyone, for all of my listeners, give yourself and myself a little bit of uh, a background about Jacob Emery. Uh, well, I'm 31 now. I've got three kids. One of them is actually sitting right here beside me eating oatmeal very loudly. I've told her that if she's going to sit here and play on her iPad and eat breakfast, she's going to have to be quiet. Kind of like your dog yesterday, huh? Yes, God. (laughs) Man. Uh, Three great kids. i got my eight-year-old daughter. I've got a a four-year-old stepson, uh, which he, he might as well be my son. And I've got a uh, almost two-year-old little boy as well. Very cool. What was your uh, what was your childhood like growing up? You, have you always been a, a deer hunter? Well, that, that's the thing, man. Is I was I wasn't born into a family that had a ton of property. Uh, we weren't poor. We sure as hell weren't rich. Um, you know, none of my family members hunted at all. My granddad dabbled in it. He was a, a, a meat hunter. If anything, he might go out once or twice a year to shoot a doe. And that was, you know, back in the 70s and 80s. And at that point, any deer you saw, you know, you were shooting at that point. Um, but yeah, man, uh, everything that I guess I've gotten into has been just kind of self-acquired and not really self-taught because uh, I've learned a lot from everybody that I've come in contact with. But uh, the desire to, to do all this, I come from a couple VHSs from my dad. Really? Uh, he, uh, 
he works on the boats. He's gone 28 days a month, home 28 days. And uh, I guess to pass the time back in the day, he used to watch whatever. He had a couple old Realtree monster buck videos and uh, Primo. So I grew up watching Will and David Blanton and Michael Waddell and, you know, everybody that everybody else grew up watching. So that's kind of where it kind of got going about 10 years old, nine years old, somewhere around in there. And uh, I wouldn't say that I got super serious about it until about 2010, whatnot, whenever I could start driving around and, and doing stuff on my own. Yeah. So I think uh, re- more recently I've, I've heard the name Jacob Emery for the last, I would say three years is really when I started seeing your name pop up and do three outdoors. And I th- I'd say the last few years you've been really successful. So I'm, intrigued and interested and excited to talk about what you have going on. Uh, what is, what do you have going on with DO3 outdoors? Okay. So I was originally with the hunting grounds TV. Uh, if you guys haven't heard of the hunting grounds, if you guys are into like land management and seeing the process of growing deer, holding deer, uh, Stephen Fuller runs that show. And I was a part of it for almost eight years. Um, and there was nothing against anybody there. And I still consider them some of my best friends, uh, Steve and Scotty Flippo was actually at my wedding, uh, party. <laughs> so, um, but the whole do three thing was it kind of come up where I was just ready to, to get out of filming my hunts, some stuff in life come up and lo and behold, you know, the minute you make a big decision, you change your mind. And, uh, <laughs> I just decided I was going to start uploading my hunts, but I was going to do it at my pace and I wasn't pressured to get the shots on camera, you know? So basically it was just for fun and it still is just for fun. I'm, I mean, I might make $40 a month off of YouTube, sure. but you know, over a, a year amount of time, it pays for some tags and uh, maybe a little, little gas money. And when I say a little gas money, like a little bit, um, but you know, just for fun, man, I, I've got a, a lot of videos. A lot of them are from the old days and, I'd say about 40% of them are, are newer stuff since I've kind of left the hunting grounds. Yeah. So if you go to DO3 Outdoors on YouTube and you go look through the videos, two videos catch my eye. Kayaking for a big mature Indiana public land bow buck and kayaking out a big public land buck in Kentucky. So water access is kind of, would you say that's your, your bread and butter? Um, man, I'm an opportunist. So I'll hunt with any weapon, any season, any method, in any way I can get in there. But I do tend to lean more towards the the water side of it. It's just, it's funner to me. It seems like it's kind of distancing myself from some people. Now, granted, you know, who knows how long that's going to last, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, which is fine because the more people want to you know, get super deep in places. You can push a deer up closer to the parking lots. I'd, I'd really, I'd really rather just kill them about 150 yards from the parking lot. That would right. be a lot easier. Hell so. yeah. Yeah. Who wouldn't? Um, I, there's kind of a sense of advent sense of adventure that goes in with that too, with kayaking in and man, I can't imagine the feeling of putting a buck on the front of your kayak and, and watching just like admiring it as you're kayaking out. The scenery is going to be awesome that time of year. Uh, uh, it's almost it's almost like a like a romantic freaking movie or something. You just it the, the greatest feeling of accomplishment. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm I'm 
I might get myself in a scenario this year where I'm going to try it out. So I need to talk to you about the kayak of choice, what to look for in a, a kayak that you're going to use for hunting, uh, how to keep your self organized on a kayak, how to keep your noise levels down the whole nine yards. So where do you want to start with that? Well, I guess what I, we should really start with is water access doesn't exactly mean a boat or a kayak, That's true. Um, man, rubber boots, waders, hip waders, or just walking a Creek. I consider wa- uh, water access. Um, but you know, when m- most people hear that's, that's kind of what they drift to. And I'd say 75% of it is going in by some sort of boat. Um, but uh, as far as a good kayak, it really depends or a boat, whatever it depends on what you want to do. So if your goal is kind of like what my goal was, like I wanted the, I wanted the thrill of going in and taking the deer out on the kayak. You're going to need a kayak that's suitable for what you want to do that with. Uh, and honest to God, the one that I have really pushes the limits. Mm. Um, I, the, the Kentucky deer I killed last year. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at him now. I literally just got him back from the tax center. It's like two days ago. And he without a doubt is the largest body deer, um, that I've ever killed. And he, uh, he was pushing, I, mean, I had put logs, sticks, whatever I could find in the back of my kayak to keep the nose out of the water. <laughs> um, so that being said, uh, I run an Ascend 12 T uh, it's a 12 footer. Uh, it's a, you can stand up on the kayak. Um, it's not going to be as good as like a new canoe as far as stability and weight rating, but it's also about half the price. Um, I did look into the new canoes and the promotions they were offering just i don't know it's there the the offer's open and i've thought about it real hard but man i'm a penny pincher and if if i could sell my kayak and buy a smaller one and still make it work i'd probably do it um but man a 10 or 12 foot kayak something with area surface area on the front uh where you can lay you know a decently sized deer is almost a must. If you want to use something like a sit-in kayak or a smaller eight, 10 foot kayak, um, go in, taking your gear in, that's perfect. Uh, but as far as dragging the deer out, putting it on that kayak, I do not suggest that. Actually, Chris Leppert, <laughs> we were talking about him before we started recording, he killed a buck. And there's a picture he has of the buck on the front of his sit-in kayak laying across it long ways. And it makes me cringe every time I see it. I was like, dude, I was like, you could have died. You could have lost the deer in the water. You could have lost your gear. I was like, what are you doing? I got to uh, look this, I got to look this picture up. Is that on his Facebook? No, you'll probably have to message him for it. Cause I don't think he's released the hunt yet, but it is like, oh my God, dude. I, <laughs> sometimes I think about it about nine 30 at night. And I don't go to sleep till 12. <laughs> That's like taking a, uh, taking a buck out in like a hatchback or something. Oh yeah. Oh man, it was, it's something else, but yeah. Um, the thing I like about my kayak, obviously it's plastic. Um, I like to silence all my gear because water access is as good or as bad as you make it. So you can actually hurt yourself by using it, or you can really give yourself an advantage. Hurting yourself is one going in where the deer can see you coming in from the water. Uh, and I actually want to touch on that with this Kentucky buck a little bit later, but also like maybe going in with a John boat or like a metal canoe, man, there's nothing in the world that alerts a deer 
sound wise other than like metal yeah uh, that is the most unnatural noise it, that you ever heard when it comes to you know sitting in the woods and in the middle of nowhere if you heard something tinging like you know that that just reeks human so i like to silence my gear um my bow everything doesn't even touch the kayak i've actually got some uh what, what copeland maybe i can't ever say their name right got some copeland grips on the front uh, i normally will lay a jacket down in the back and lay my uh, backpack on top of that it's got my saddle gear or my stand uh, silence is key and uh, slipping in uh, without being seen is key especially uh, what is the saying out of sight out of mind we use that on job sites a lot yep <laughs> The uh, so that Ascend 12T has a 350 pound max weight capacity. So if you're a 200 pound guy, you only got room for a 150 pound buck up there. Well, I got room, I got news for you. Uh, <laughs> that weight rating is probably just a little bit of a suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> is it generous or uh, yeah, you just got it, you have to distribute it very well, and once you get I mean, I probably won't ever paddle out a deer like that again, size-wise, if I'm honest. I mean, I might if I'm lucky, uh, but I don't think I'd – like the, the Indiana buck, I'm looking at him, and the difference in the bodies is just astronomical. Like, there was no issues whatsoever putting him on there. Of course, both deer were gutted, and I, I don't know what the Kentucky deer weighed at live weight. If I had to guess, he was pushing over 260, right at 270, something like that. I mean, he was a really big-bodied deer. Um, he looked like he got lost and wandered off from Iowa. <laughs> That's a giant. So the, the new, com, new canoe weight capacity looks like it's 650. So that's a yeah. substantial, a lot. Uh, yeah. They are a bit. much better option for, for what I do. Um, I need but, to bite the bullet one day and just do it honestly. Yeah. Holy. I mean, 800 bucks for the ascend 1700. See, when I, when I bought the, the ascend, when I actually bought my kayak, it was five ninety nine. Oh shit, that's a great deal. And then COVID, you know, happened, and then everything went up, and then now we have this president. You pay nine dollars for a gallon of milk. So <laughs> uh, I just got the picture of uh, Chris's kayak buck. <laughs> yeah, that looks dangerous. <laughs> He's silly. I love him. I love. I can't wait to meet all those guys. So you've never actually met him? No, I've never met Chris. Me either. I, I, dude, I wish I could go to that, that mobile hunters expo by the time this releases, this is going to release next Friday. Uh, so this is going to be post mobile hunters expo, but man, I wish I could go to that show. The whole reason Exodus is exhibiting there is because I wanted to go there and record podcasts for this podcast. And we're like, well, if we're going to be there, we might as well exhibit. And then I have some white tail crib stuff that came up and then I have to go, I drew that Iowa tag and I'm only going to get so much time to go out there and scout. So I had to prioritize that over going to the show. And no, I'm, I'm pretty bummed about it. I was every five years, dude, or whatever it is, five or six years. Uh, I definitely be more concerned with going out there and getting some boots on the ground. Yeah. With the amount of money you pay for the tag, I had to, I, I've got to make a couple trips out there to make sure it's worth it. But uh, I guess we'll see, we'll see what that turns into, but that, property i'm hunting you and i've talked a little bit about it and that's that might offer water access and i don't know what kind i don't know if that's going to be hip waders i don't know if that's going to be a boat i don't know if a canoe will suffice or a kayak will suffice so 
I'm trying to weigh my options. And then this trip will kind of give me a little bit better idea of what the river is going to be like. But when I was out there in March, it looked like I could canoe or kayak it. And then I talked to some locals out there and they said it won't be deep enough in the fall. They said you could just walk it. So I don't know for sure. I'm going to take a kayak with me just in case, but um, I need to kind of hone in how I'm going to do that because I've kayak fished before and it's like, I'm clumsy and I'm not, I just I, like getting out of it and everything. Just like, you have to be really organized to make that not like an announcement that you're coming through. Right. Absolutely. Um, that, that's the, the best thing about it, man. Uh, especially like, I'm pretty sure that area that you're looking at, I kind of glanced at it. Uh, I was terrible about getting back to you about that, but um, <laughs> them deep, them deep ditches, them deep rivers with the steep river banks, they're tough to get in and out of with a boat. Uh, but I mean, you can get within 20, 30 yards of a deer and he wouldn't have a clue. Uh, as long as you're, you're quiet, you're not running like a gas motor or nothing like that. Uh, it's just getting out of the, the, the river bank and quietly out and not destroying your gear, getting completely covered in mud is the hard part. Yeah. So after we kind of cover this gear, I'll kind of ask you a little strategy questions uh, towards the end of this, but I want to focus on what you're taking with you when you're hunting out of a kayak versus what you'll maybe. So do you change what you take with you when you know you have to kayak in or is it you kind of just have a setup and you stick with it and make it work? No, um, it all depends on the scenario. So I have a lone wolf assault to stand. Um, and I've completely gotten away from hanging multiple sticks. Um, so I only have, I have two different sticks. I've got a regular Novix double, um, and it's sitting down in the building. I don't even use it. And I've got my, uh, trophy line wingman that I one stick with, and either I'm going to one stick with a saddle and hunt from my saddle, or I'm going to one stick up and pull up my stand which some people like, like, why would you even do that? Well, sometimes if I'm going to sit there all day long, I'd want to sit in a stand. Like I love my saddle and and I can hang there all day long if I want to. Uh, but it's not the most comfortable sitting there for, you know, eight or 10 hours waiting on something to walk by. So, um, yeah, man, when I, when I go in, it's the bow, I've got a, uh, running gun Turkey pack, uh, from night and hail. Um, I don't know if you've seen those before or not, but they're the, super minimal. The 200? Yes, the 200. That's what and I use for turkey hunting. So I actually have an attachment that my wingman clips to the back of that, and my rappel rope, everything goes in the back compartment. Uh, my front compartments keep, like, my figure eight, uh, all my stuff, my skinning, whatever, my knife, and in the very back of my – in the very bottom of my backpack, I've got some game bags and whatnot. And I always take with me, I'll have my frame pack in the kayak at all times in case I shoot a doe, cut it up, quarter it out, pack it out like that. And of course, uh, everything I need to to clean the buck or whatever and drag him out. I've got a saw to maybe cut the school cap off if it's not something I want to get mounted. Um, Very minimalist, but I've got everything I need that stays kind of with the kayak until I kill. And then of course I can go back and get what I need. But when I get out of that kayak, I'm grabbing my bow. I've already got my release on my hand. It's the running gun pack with the wingman clip to me and I'm gone. Yeah. That's super efficient. And that's like, uh, the thing that you mentioned about like leaving some of those things back at the kayak makes it really nice. I mean, you could do that. 
and take a pack in and drop it off somewhere if you weren't kayaking in, but having the ability to not have to carry it, kayak it in. And it's stuff that you only would absolutely need in the case of a harvest. That's really, that's a big benefit that I can see and something smart. Like I don't, I wouldn't have thought to do that. I would have been like, I'll figure it out after I kill it. I wouldn't have thought to take all that stuff with me, but it just makes sense. You take a bag or whatever compartment with all that stuff in it, just store it on the kayak and leave it with it. Yeah. My kayak actually has a kit with it. (laughs) This sounds silly, but it has a trail camera with, you know, lithiums in it, a card that's ready to go in case I find something fantastic uh, in this big waterproof bag uh got some rope paracord in there some wet wipes for hard times and uh there's three or four other things in there uh uh, one of my co2 cartridges in case i fall in my life jacket it it pops up or whatever uh i've got all kinds of stuff in there for that and then of course like i said when i go hunt i take everything i need for every possible scenario on based off what i kill now if you weren't going to kayak in you you're say you had uh, an area that you're going to hunt that doesn't have water access, it doesn't allow for it. Do you change what you take with you or is it just yeah. the same thing minus the equipment to harvest? So what I'll do if I'm going to walk in somewhere that's over half a mile from the truck, um, I will take my frame pack, which is a mystery ranch, um, just mystery ranch frame pack. Oh, gosh, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, God light MT. And, um, so it doesn't have a bag on it and I'll actually take my running gun pouch and I'll kind of squish it up and roll it up. I'll set it on the back of the pack. I'll take my wingman platform and I'll stick it on there and I'll actually strap that to that pack frame and I'll walk in. When I get to the tree, I'll take the stuff off of it and I'll kind of just cover the pa- uh, frame pack up in leaves. I'll climb the tree. I get down. I put that on and walk out. Them frame packs, man. If nobody out there listening has ever worn one, like a true, like pack that's meant for Western hunting, hauling meat. What? It, not necessarily Western hunting, but I mean that's what they have to use out there. Carrying weight. Yep. Yes. Forty pounds, thirty pounds on your back with one of those. If it's fitted to you correctly, strapped around your waist, nice and tight. You got to learn how to really tighten these things because there is a method to tighten them. It doesn't feel like there's nearly anything there versus like something that's saggy or just a regular backpack. Yeah. It makes you wonder, like I, I have experience with one frame pack from an elk hunt in Colorado a couple of years ago. And uh, you see like from the outside looking in, you're like, how in the hell does someone carry a moose <laughs> out of the woods or something? And then right. you put one of those packs on and if you it's like, distribute the weight correctly and like if you wear the pack correctly and it's a pack that fits you it is pretty remarkable how much more weight you can get away with taking um in those scenarios that's that's something that you'll see people go the opposite way and they just won't take stuff with them because they don't want to carry the weight and taking a frame pack kind of um that's a that's the option to just keep doing what you're doing and make it more comfortable right exactly so I want to run through uh, just some more gear things here. What's your saddle setup of choice? So right now I'm running a uh, trophy line covert light. Um, That's kind of been my go-to saddle wise since I've started. Um, There's, I mean, there's, there's probably better saddles out there for comfort. There's worse saddles out there for comfort. 
trophy line is that happy medium. That's kind of that. They're kind of the standard in my opinion, just based off of how long they've been in the game. Uh, I really like the company. Uh, They don't give off that like clicky. I'm better than you vibe. Uh, All these out, some of these outdoor companies give off now and I I can't stand it, man. Like I, I try to stray so far away from that stuff. Um, I I don't know. It's just that great middle ground gear. That's going to work. And it's always worked for me. Trophy line always offers a great price point. And what you get for that price point is always like, it's, you can't beat it. Like if you, I always steer people like, Hey, if I, if I'm on more of a budget, like, what do you, what do, what do you suggest? I always go to trophy line. Cause like you said, it's kind of the standard they've been doing saddle hunting for a really, really long time. Chad's first saddle when he was, um, I don't know, 2011 or something. That was a trophy line, like a neoprene trophy line saddle. And they've come <laughs> a long way since then, but they've always been doing it. They know what they're doing. Um, it, you get American made stuff and, it's a, at a great price point. So I, I like that suggestion as well. Um, so the one sticking setup, this is something that intrigues me. I don't one stick myself. I feel like I'm probably going to eventually, but I, it's one of those things that's kind of intimidating to me. And it almost seems like everyone I talk to does it a different way or has a different setup. And it's the same way with mobile hunting, but the concept's the same. So what's your, what's your one sticking setup? What are the ropes you're using your rappel system, the whole, the whole nine yards. Okay. So my setup, uh, like I said, I run the trophy line wingman. Um, and I do it a little bit differently. I probably carry in more than I, than most people, but I won't spend the hundred dollars on a mechanical, um, ascend and descend device. I can't remember the name of some, one of them is called a mad, mad rock safeguard. It's like so 200 actually, and some dollars. Well, they weren't that much. And then people started buying them and then they got, you know, so hard to find that with the people that had them started selling them and, and jacking the price up on them. And then, uh, I don't know, it's just a pain, but yeah, there's just too much for me. So I actually use my tether, like a regular tether. And that's what I climb the tree with. Uh, I use uh, what is it, the Ropeman one? Uh, and that's what I'll climb and drop myself down, grab my stick and move it. Of course, my stick has the um, rope, cl- uh, gosh, thank cam cleat on it. Yes. Uh, and once I get to the top, I just stay hunting just like that. So there's not like 40 foot of rope on me or nothing like that. I keep it in my backpack. When it's time to go down, I'll take my 45 foot of Canyon CIV or CVI. I can't remember the, the abbreviation, but I'll put it around the tree and uh, it has a, I can't remember the name of, you just have, <laughs> I've got a video out. I can't remember the name of the dang thing. It's, it's a metal quick link, I believe. Oh, yeah, quick, quick link. link. Yep, yep. I'll just wrap that around the tree, kind of like a tether. Uh, and I have a $10 figure eight I bought off of Amazon. Um, and once I attach that, I will double lock it and then I will, once I'm attached to both methods, I'll release myself from my tether, put my tether back in my pack. Don't ever drop your tether to the ground, put it on you in case something goes wrong. Cause I've had something go wrong before. Oh. Um, go ahead, honey, go take your book. The daughter come <laughs> out here to get her coloring book. Um, <laughs> but uh, after that, I'll just drop myself down a little bit. I'll double lock my figure eight again with my rope and I will uh, grab my stick, clip it on my hind end and, and uh, go all the way to the bottom. Of course, after you uh, 
attach, I guess, your pull-down rope. You got to have a pull-down rope that you attach on the certain side of the quick link. When you get to the bottom, you can yank it, and it'll just either fall to the ground or you can pull your rope down. Uh, people think that you can only one stick on trees with no limbs. You can actually go up a tree that you can go up a pine tree with a one stick if you want to. Uh, do you ever see yourself going back to carrying multiple sticks? Um, I think it's quicker to hang multiple sticks in trees with a lot of limbs. Um, if I've premeditated a spot that I want to go hunt, I would definitely consider, I, I just don't want to pack in three or four sticks ever again. I, I would consider having two sticks and some aiders and whatnot to kind of get the same height that I want to get to. Uh, I'm kind of a monkey, man. If, if I got a three, I, I ain't gonna lie. Uh, I've worked in construction my entire life. I am not scared to climb a tree with limbs all over it, you know, hardly even tied off, which is stupid. I know. <laughs> but if I find an oak tree that's got limbs every two or three feet, I will shimmy to the top of that thing, tie myself off, and then I'll hunt. Uh, but no, I, I don't know. It's, with me, you never know because I change crap up every year. So yeah. <laughs> it's hard to give a, a definite answer. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you talk to people and it's kind of, I mean, it's not new, new, but it's kind of new. And they're like first time or second time doing it. Like, man, I'll never go back. And then I just always wonder to myself, like, is this one of those things that is going to fall off or are people going to find what's next? You know, like taking no sticks. How the hell are we going to do that? But, you know, <laughs> something's, you know, something's going to come up. Um, right. I'm watching an end all. That's the thing is everybody got on the saddles. And I mean, I was included in that. Um, but everybody thinks they're the end all like, you got to hunt from one or now you got a one stick. It's like, no, you don't. I mean, honest to God, the guys that are killing every year, killing these big deer, they could still pack in a 20 pound summit climber and still kill the deer. Right. Like it's just making it easier on yourself. Yep. That's why I wanted, I, I forget which episode I did. I think it was the one with Rendell Eric from Iowa. And I, I wanted to like, you get the pigeonholed into being like a gear guy. And then everyone thinks like, oh, the gear guy can't kill anything. <laughs> You're too worried about your gear and you don't kill anything. So I wanted to, I always try to mention like, I don't think the gear is what's killing the deer for any of us. I think it's just a, it's, it's a tool. It's how you use it. It can hurt you just as much as it can help you. So I, I always try to make that very clear that I'm not one of those guys that's like, Oh, just because this is a, a new trend or something, I have to use it. And that's what helps you kill the deer. Like I, I truly don't believe that you can screw stuff up. If you're a bad hunter, you're a bad hunter. If you're a good hunter, you're a good hunter. It doesn't matter what you're taking with you. Right. So I'm watching your gear dump here from October of 2021. And you mentioned the, the filming, you do film your hunts. What's your self-filming setup? So I actually have built recently at my well it was my job um had a little spare time with the plant closing down uh to kind of do what i wanted but i grabbed some aluminum i actually built my own little so-called pocket arm um i've always just used either a screw in like trail camera mount with a, a phone holder on it or um i've used fourth arrow in the past a long time ago and now I've just got to the point where I've got a GoPro on a clip and my cell phone on a really small pocket arm or something like that. And I don't use a mic. It's just my phone and a GoPro. It's super simple. Uh, I'm not out to impress a bunch of people 
like I've said before, I, I'm going to kill before I worry about getting the shot on camera, but I'm going to try. Yeah. Uh, once it gets to that moment where you're like, Hey, I've got to make some shit happen or, you know, this moment's going to get away. Uh, basically just my phone, a GoPro and, um, that's it. That's super sufficient for like what our phones can do now. Like you have a 4k phone in your pocket all the time. That's going to not do the same thing because the sensor size is different and all that, but it's going to capture what you need it to capture. And when you're in the scenario, like you're just making stuff for YouTube and just like to have fun and enjoy it. Um, one of the benefits to filming your hunts is recovery and like yes. the shot process, watching the shot, like that is super sufficient for that. You don't need a giant $1,200 camera to, cause that also makes you, get yourself in a situation where like, well, I spent the money on this setup and I have it with me. I'm not going to kill a deer unless it's on film. Cause I've been there and I've not taken shots because I couldn't get it on film. And I quit filming because of it. I was like, listen, I'm not there in my career. I've killed what, like six bucks. Like who the hell am I to stop? Like not shoot a deer because it's not on film. No one wants to see, <laughs> no one wants to see a guy that's only shot five bucks in his life. Kill a deer anyway. So it's like, what are you even doing? So um, I'm the same way. If I can, I'll set my phone up. I'll set a GoPro up. But if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I'm out there to to hunt, and I'm hunting for myself. I'm not hunting for anyone else. Right. The main thing with with a setup like that is just to kind of visualize. It's really helpful if you kind of have an idea where the deer are going to come from. I make sure that GoPro is pretty much facing the direction that I think the deer are going to come from. So if worst-case scenario, I can reach up, I can hit the button, and it's, it's there. It yeah. may not be beautiful, you know heartland bow hunter footage but it's there yeah um, right and that that's that's the main thing you, when you're not running some super high-tech camera arm where you swing around the tree and whatnot yeah so you also have an e-bike what's what e-bike did you run with all right so my dad um has this problem <laughs> and uh, when he goes on vacation he thinks he has to just splurge buy stuff <laughs> and, and like i it, you know we're not super rich or nothing like that. My dad makes a, a damn good wage working on the river. But we went to Florida about uh, six years ago, and he bought a beach bike. But it was like <laughs> it was like a thousand dollar bike. I was like, why? Why did you buy that? And one, why did you buy this bright orange one? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big fat tire bike, and he never touched it. And I'm like, Dad, one day I'm going to turn that thing into an e-bike. So I've actually built a kit and or bought a kit and kind of built the bike. And, um, it's just a, a Bafang kit. I put on it 750 watt. Uh, I think I bought a 52 volt battery for it and it did pretty well until literally, I think you're probably looking at the thumbnail of the, yeah. uh, turkey hunt. Yep. So <laughs> if you watch the end of that video, my bike starts screwing up <laughs> and <laughs> I had, I had stripped out one of the gears, uh, on the, I guess the back hub, the free hub. And so the bike is out of commission. I took it to this shop and this guy has been fooling with finding a part for going on since that hunt. Um, so it's, it's been a while. I'm starting to get kind of pissed off. Like, Hey dude, come on. But he's looking <laughs> for a steel hub because the bike has so much torque that it's screwing up the aluminum. And granted, I, I'm hard on that thing <laughs> way harder than I should be. So I told him just put an aluminum one back on it and I, I need this thing pretty quick. Uh, but yeah, man, I borrowed an e-bike last year uh, for a couple hunts from a good buddy of mine named Tanner Hagen. 
And I knew the minute that I, I borrowed it, like I'm, there's no way I can't buy a kit for that bike. So you, that you was, really, you thoroughly enjoy it. Oh, I, it's not, dude, I, I'll get on that bike and I'll go ride around my hometown. <laughs> I like, I just, I just like riding around on the thing. It's just fun. Um, and it's, you know, it's easy. You don't have to pedal. You can pedal pedaling actually like it's an assist. So you start pedaling and, and the, the motor takes off or you can turn it to zero and you're actually pedaling. But the bad thing about it is it's stuck on one gear. Mine doesn't change gears. So it's, it's, it's pretty tough to just pedal. Yeah. But as far as save it, like last year I was able to, there was a spot I wanted to hunt and I was like, there's another car parked here but it was a huge area. So I'm like, I'm not going to back out. If this dude is like, if I pass him or whatever, I see him, he should be in orange. If he's 200 yards from the parking lot, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Well, I went a mile back and ran into him walking in and I was able to drive in a mile and drive back to my truck, throw the bike in and drive a couple miles down the road, go in another mile and start hunting. And from the time I left my truck, the first time it was 30 minutes. Wow. Yeah. You'd never be able to do that on foot. Well, there, there's no way it, it, uh, it does make a little bit of noise. It doesn't make when you're on it and you're hearing the wind blow by you and gravel pop and you're like, God, that's loud. But I've actually listened to my bike. I had somebody drive it down a gravel road. Uh, when I was 60 yards off the road, I mean, I could barely just barely make it out what it was. So it's pretty quiet. It's quick and you're not leaving your scent everywhere. Yeah, I have one. Um, Exodus was actually, uh, we were going to make them and sell them like probably 2018 when the e-bike craze like first started popping off. Like right before that, we had a company called Boulder Bikes and it just never amounted to anything because the bikes that we had, we realized that they're kind of all the same. Everyone uses Bafang motors and gears and like there's nothing really that sets any of them apart. And we didn't like ours. So we were like, well, we can't, if we don't like them, we can't sell them to people. So I used it on like one or two hunts. I did kill a deer on the one hunt that I had it with me. And then I was like, okay, well now I got to ride. So I rode it from my house to where I hunted and I didn't have a trailer or anything for it. So I rode the bike down to the property. It was like two and a half miles away. I was like, well, now I have to drive my bike back home, go get my truck to come down here. And now I just kind of use it. I use it for turkey hunting more than anything and uh, yep. check, checking trail cameras on private farms. It's nice for most of the public around. You can't drive it. You can't use them anyway. Um, right. But the, when they work and when I had that thing working good, it like skips gears all the times now. And it's loud. Like when I come through, it, it's loud. It kind of defeats the purpose of what, it, what you're trying to do there. But when I had it working properly, I loved it. Jake has one. He loves it. But the the people that use them, you always hear more good than bad. I just had a bad experience, I think. For sure. You know what? That's annoying. You're talking about some of the public lands you can't use. I think there should be some rules modified because I got this place that I hunt, and it has a gravel. It's not like really pretty gravel. It's like gravel with some grass mixed in. Like it's a very lightly used access road for the, the fish of my life. And you can't use bikes on this WMA. And that is so annoying because this place has like one access point and it's literally two and a half miles back to the best hunting. And I asked him one day, I was like, why don't you guys let us use bikes and whatnot? If you guys want these doe numbers knocked down, you need to let people use some kind of advantage to get these deer out because nobody's walking two and a half miles to shoot a doe. 
No. He's just not going to do it. No. He's like, well, I don't know. Somebody got caught back here and it was a $25 fine. I'm, I'm to the point. I'm like, I'll pay the 25 bucks. I'm like, I'll just have $25 cash in my truck every time. You, you guys catch <laughs> me. You can just take it because I'll pay $25 not to walk, you know, five miles round trip every time. Oh <laughs> yeah. That I think as uh public acceptance, like mass market acceptance for those bikes comes through the agents will have to do something. You, you would think um, it's just going to keep people from hunting in those places. Cause if they have the bike and they want to use it, they're going to go hunt somewhere they can use it. Well, Kentucky won't change anything. They don't care about nothing. Uh, they well, I, like 90% of the Turkey population could die and season would still open at the same point. And you could still kill two gobblers and yeah, what don't matter. Kentucky <laughs> ain't going for nothing. I hope, uh, I hope <laughs> at some point they, they open their eyes a little bit. Yeah, they need to bad. It's real so, bad, man. I want to talk a little bit of strategy now. I need to kind of visualize, understand how not to be the guy that uses a kayak and hurts myself. So when you're when you have an, an area, so most of the time when you're kayaking in, do you have a spot in mind that you're going that you've pre-scouted? Or are you just are you looking for something on the trek in? Okay, so I have a rule. Uh, let me pull up my notes here because I'm supposed to be speaking on this at the Mobile Hunter Expo and I'm going to completely flop. <laughs> um, I don't ever use water access in an area that I have not explored or scouted in the daylight. Okay. Um, I will not take that boat in anywhere in the dark. I just won't do it. There's way too many things under that water that you can't see. You don't know how the water acts when it rains a little bit. You don't know how deep it is in some spots. Uh, but most places that I go in, I have pre-scouted in the day, um, maybe a month or two ahead. Uh, and so, sometimes I will go in, you know, at noon, 11 o'clock one day to an area that I've never been in before and just kind of really pay attention to what I'm dealing with. I'll kind of, if it's like a bigger lake or something, I'll actually like onyx track my way through it and try to follow that exactly back, kind of like a fish finder or uh, whatever I don't know, depth finder. Yeah. <laughs> um, but most of the places that I go in and hunt, I have pre-scouted before and kind of premeditated what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be and, and kind of visualize my way in and, and how I wanted to hunt that spot. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and when you, even if you've pre-scouted it, you've been there before, you know what the river's like, do you still access in gray light or will you start in the dark? Um, most of the time I'm, I'm going to come in in the complete dark. Um, I have come in in gray light. I, my Indiana buck I killed last year, I come in in the gray light and it worked out really well. Um, but you, that's a, that's actually a great idea for, for guys that aren't sure about a spot or whatever, that gray light time. Um, it's, it's really not a bad idea to wait if you're not sure, but uh, most of the time I'm coming in, in the complete dark. I've got a little, little light rigged up on the front of my kayak. I, I really, most of the time don't use it. It's actually funny if you've used a boat or kayak enough on the nights that you've got a half moon or better, you can actually turn your headlamp off, turn your light off, and you can see the water and you can see what's there better. Hmm. Um, especially if the temperatures are a little funky and there's a fog on the water, you can see way better without a light on. Yeah, you can kind of follow that. That that makes a lot of sense. I can visualize that. Um, okay, let's talk about approaching, approaching the, the area that you want to go to. Um, like you have to paddle right what's what's your what's your uh approach there like 
I, I just can't imagine being like loud with your paddling and paddling fast and quick is going to be a great way to do that. Well, one of my good friends, Greg Stagg said it best. If you're going to use a boat or kayak to access somewhere, the closer you can get to that exact spot that you plan on hunting, the better. It doesn't always work out that way because I will use mine to just cut half the distance up a walk sometimes. Okay. That being said, hold on. Keely, honey, no, sorry. <laughs> you can't, no, go. Go. I'll be back. What, what was the question again? My daughter's completely distracting me. What's uh, the, what's your full like approach to, um, like oh, actually okay. physically kayaking in? Okay. So, so when I start out on, on a long paddle, I've got a trolling motor that attaches right to the back side of my, the back side of my kayak. And I'll use that trolling motor until I get, you know, 150 yards of where I'm fixing to beach this boat. And then I'll take my paddle and kind of work my way in. And like I said earlier, out of sight, out of mind, this deer I'm looking at right now was using a point and he was actually seeing me paddle in, troll in, whatever. He was seeing my light and that deer was leaving the area knowing that I was coming in from the water. Um, so if you can hide yourself on the water coming in, the better. Like we're talking about the steeper, the ditch banks and whatnot. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's just, it's not practical. It also wasn't practical for me to come in, you know, walking in to access the area that deer was using as well. But that, that goes back to like, sometimes it can hurt you. Sometimes it can help you. Um, I always try Try not to use lights if I can help it. Um, sometimes you just can't. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, in certain scenarios, it is what it is. Uh, when Greg's talking about, like, the closer you can get to the area you're hunting, the better. Is he talking, like, pull the kayak up to the bank and climb a tree right there? Absolutely. His, his rule of thumb, I believe, is like 75 yards or less. If you're, he said it. And I, I don't exactly believe it, but if you're using water access and you're going to get out and walk a mile, you're kind of defeating the purpose, which to an extent that is true, but places where there's limited access, I don't believe that. Um, as I, I agree with him wholeheartedly. If you could get out of that kayak, you can walk 15, 20 yards and be up in a tree. That is golden. Like that is, that is the standard of water access. Yeah, that'd be, be that'd be the most ideal. Yeah, that'd be the most ideal scenario. But I can see, like, if you can take that kayak to get you so far in, and then go another mile to like an area where it's better to hunt, and that's the way to cut people off or to get further away. Like, I I wouldn't be afraid to do that. I've never done it before, so I don't know if I'd be hurting myself there. But if you don't cut the main trail that you're hunting, or that that buck's not going to cut your boot track for walking in there and um, your access is clean from that point. I could see how using a canoe to circle a deer or to get an, a different advantage on other hunters that are using strictly foot access, that maybe they're not going to go that far. Maybe they're not going to come in from that angle. I could see how that could help you. Oh, for sure. And I would say that I used the, I, I would probably lean more towards I'm, I'm using it to cut the distance and, and, I'm still walking a pretty good piece once I get out of the boat. Sure. Uh, rather than getting right out of it. Yeah. You know, the Indiana deer, I, I walked a good little bit 
after I got out of the boat, but I was very careful where I kept my, my body and my scent the whole way into the tree. Uh, and then the, the Kentucky deer, I was out of the boat and I was a hundred yards and I was up in a tree and, uh, two different scenarios and it worked out both times. I'm thinking the situation that I'm going to be in Iowa is that I'm going to hunt a lot closer to the canoe because it's the further away that you get from the river, there's no trees. Yeah. That, think you're going to be that that situation of being able to hide yourself down in that creek whether it's with a boat or just walking and popping out and and hopping up in a tree i think that's going to be the ticket yeah i'm looking forward to see how that goes um i'm gonna have to get a new kayak though i can see i just looked up the weight capacity on mine it's 300 pounds it's not it's just a like it's a sit on kayak but it's just a recreational deal it's not a fishing kayak or anything like that so i'm gonna have to up my game for that but i have to take this trip out there to see if the kayak's going to be the best route or a pair of hip waders which i bought those ones that you suggested so thank you um so we'll see how that goes i want to talk what why do you want to leave why are you ready to get back to kentucky why do you want to leave indiana oh i I just tease my wife because i met her over here and she's a hoosier and and i just (laughs) i've always just been a kentucky boy and uh i just i live right on the line it doesn't matter uh i can be in kentucky in about 45 seconds so outside of indiana kentucky do you travel anywhere else to hunt i like tennessee a lot um go to kansas turkey hunting quite a bit i've been all over in a sense but as far as whitetails it's really been right here, uh, Kentucky, Indiana, Tennessee. Um, I haven't killed one anywhere else yet, uh, but I've got a point in Kansas and I've got a point in Iowa. Uh, I probably won't dig for the five points like most guys just because it's just personal preferences. I, if I'm going to spend a thousand dollars by the time it's said and done on points and a tag, I'm going elk hunting. That's just me. Yeah. Um, well, I'll fair warn you just, uh, even if you only wait three years, they're still going to spend a thousand dollars because that's what I spent. <laughs> oh well. Oh well. Yep. The, there's yep. also a little trick to that too. With if you don't want to bow hunt it, um, you can get a tag every other year with a late season muzzleloader. Don't be telling people that. <laughs> I think it's pretty public knowledge. Um, I'm just teasing. Yeah, <laughs> there's, that's, there's, that's that's my goal. I think next year I'd really like to try that. I, I probably just buy one tag around here, and I'm going to try to get a get that tag in Iowa and, uh, hunt Kansas as well. Yeah. I'm actually going to go, I, I have a point in Kansas right now too, that I'm sitting on that I'm going to hunt Kansas next year. So, um, when we get off here, you have to let me know where you're, where you're headed and maybe we can team up there. That'd be sweet because I, I hate going out there alone. <laughs> Is that your plan right now to head out alone? Well, man, there's just not a lot of buddies that i have that are this into it that live close to me you know so it's real hard to plan with other guys that you know live out of state because it's different for everybody right Um, nobody around here is as crazy about it as me that i would consider a super close friend so sure well when we get off of here i'll I'll talk to you more about that um as we kind of approach the end of this here is there anything else that you want to talk about within your your setup um things that you think work better for you that maybe you've seen other people think they don't work or anything you won't hunt without let's let's kind of wrap it up with that (sighs) uh i really don't think so man um like i said earlier i'm an opportunist i'll hunt 
with a bow until it's time to pick up a muzzleloader until it's time to pick up the rifle. Um, I just, I, I'm going to capitalize on the easy, not the easiest, but the, the deer that is acting the silliest. If I've got one on camera, that's, you know, doing something dumb. I don't care if he's a 140 inch deer and I've got a 170, you know, hanging out somewhere else. I see once a week, I'm going to take the low hanging fruit every single time. I'd rather have a ton of, you know, decent deer on my wall other than two or three, just, you know, massive ones at the end of my life. So Hell as, yeah. far as gear, dude, I, I don't do anything super extensive. I, I run middle of the line gear, my bow, I'm running a 2000 and, 14 or 13 Matthews Monster Chill R. Um, I've recently switched to uh, the Sever Broadheads. Um, and I need to get some of them arrows you guys are putting out uh, for sure. Uh, but I'm not one of the guys that's a super heavyweight arrow. Everybody thinks you've got to have a 900 grain arrow to kill a whitetail. It's just, I don't know, man. It's, it's almost funny. <laughs> yeah. The podcast that releases. So let's listen to today, Thursday, the 28th, the podcast that's going to release tomorrow, the 29th is something that I think you'll be interested in. Cause I saw you share that, um, the high FOC failure kind of test where the FOC, the high FOC arrows did not penetrate the other ones. Um, there's a guy that I talked to, it's an MIT mechanical engineer graduate, and he is like a super genius and he kind of explains what's going on there and why that's really not that beneficial and why it actually hurts you when you're shooting a compound bow so it's it's a pretty interesting deal and the exodus mmt arrows are pretty middle of the line i think my arrow right now is 444 grains i have like 11 percent foc pretty average shot and i have enough momentum and kinetic energy to blow through anything in the country so um that's the funny thing is i've been bow hunting going on oh gosh 20 20 years or so and i i didn't even hear of foc until two years ago and i still don't know how to calculate it i don't know what mine is i just you know i like my arrows i I screw my broadheads on i make sure things shooting right and i just go hunt my my total arrow weight is like right at 430 to 450 every single year yep quick it gets there fast it packs a punch like you don't need anything more and like you said that deer you shot in uh kentucky was a, a monster body deer you, you killed it what else you need I, well i killed it with a muzzleloader yeah, so. oh okay well you probably would have killed it with your arrows too <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> well uh jacob I, I appreciate you you chatting with me here man uh i hope you have actually let's leave off with this well it'll be fun to look back on what are you most looking forward to for the mobile hunters expo what what are you most excited to see there I'm just excited to meet all the guys. Um, there's a lot of people that I've reached out to people reached out to me as far as just, you know, that we kind of hunt the same way and whatnot. We've talked for a year or two, maybe, and they're going to be there. It's just going to be cool to kind of meet the guys that have the same mindset as you uh, hunt kind of the same way and whatnot. And I don't know. It, it's really just the guys. There's, there's nothing really there that I'm super excited about to see, except for, I think, elevate tree stands has developed another lightweight stand yep that's going to be if i'm correct it's going to be about 150 dollars cheaper than some of the other lightweight stands out there yeah that's what they're saying right at six pounds and that's that's what we need and you need 
innovate, you need people innovating and, and competing with each other, you know, to bring these prices down because, you know, in today's society, man, like I make a, a pretty good living wage. I'm an electrician. My wife's a teller, you know, right at, you know, combined together, you know, we're right at like $60 an hour and we struggle some, sometimes. And it's like, and we don't live above our means or nothing. I have a stupid addiction to, you know, everything that I buy, but you know, it's like people need that good price point on these products. Like I just, I like to see that middle ground getting great product for a great price and not breaking the bank or, you know, selling your kidney or whatever. Yep. And those guys have done a lot in a very short amount of time. Um, their situation is pretty unique and I think they truly care about getting quality products out to people. It's not, like a money grab thing. Josh is a super passionate guy. He's always wanted to be in the industry. He's super smart. Uh, we recorded a Whitetail Cribs episode with him last July and he was working on Elevate and couldn't tell us about it at the time. And he was like, when's this going to air? And we told him and he was like, man, I don't know if I can talk about this yet. I don't want to jump the gun. And then boom, they come out with the, um, the bigger platform stand that they got drug through the mud for. They got absolutely demolished for that thing. And <laughs> look at it now in the price point where Novix just cranked their prices up, Loan of Custom Gear cranked their prices up, and all of a sudden the Elevate stands just as just as good priced, if not cheaper than those. And then they come out with a, a lighter stand that you would think would cost more because of the innovation in it, and it's going to come in at a really good price point. So I'm super excited for them. They're developing a saddle platform. They're developing sticks. I'm really excited to see what they come up with. And I'm pretty envious that I'm not going to be able to get my hands on that stuff down at that show this weekend. But I do have a comment here that says the only reason you're going to the mobile hunters expo is for the food. That's a fact. <laughs> well, man, I, I, like I said, I enjoy, enjoyed this conversation. I'm glad we connected. I'm glad you reached out to me. I wish I could come down there. I want to hear that. Um, I want to hear the presentation that you're going to be giving. Hopefully someone records that and we can see it. But if anyone wants to find you, if anyone wants to check out what you have going on, plug, plug yourself here. Oh, shoot. Uh, you can check out the YouTube channel. You can either put my name in Jacob Emery, or you can uh, look up DO3 outdoors. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to find, but I'm not hundred percent sure. And it's as far easy. as like my Facebook and, and Instagram, I, I wouldn't even waste your time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, man. Thank you for the conversation. Have a good time this weekend. And I look forward to hearing, uh, hearing what you found. Yeah, we'll do, bud.